0: This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Yeah, so we've been devoting a heck of a lot of attention to COVID, and rightfully so, but there's a much bigger problem that continues to grow and take lives every day. Heart conditions are the number one killer in America, have been for years, probably still going to be for quite a while, and problems affecting heart Valves are extremely common, a big portion of all that problem. They can be difficult to spot, and you may have these conditions for years as they slowly progress, and that's the problem. If you knew about it early on, you could take action, but not enough people are being screened. So, if you don't see your doctor regularly, that's when the problem can get really bad really fast. And Dr. Antoine Keller is a cardiac surgeon, and he says for millions of uninsured, low-income minorities... this is a silent crisis. So, as I said, he's a cardiac surgeon down in Louisiana who has founded a program called Heart Sense. It reaches out to minority communities explaining why heart valve issues like aortic stenosis are so important to diagnose.
1: Your uh, aortic valve uh, sits on top of your heart and it keeps the blood moving in one direction when your heart pumps the blood to the rest of your body. The problem with aortic stenosis is as people get older, they develop some blockage in this valve, we call it stenosis. And it's similar to the hardening of the arteries that causes people to have heart attacks, only it attacks the heart valve. Most of it is genetic, but there are certainly some dietary uh, issues that can go along to making it progress a little bit faster. And smoking is actually something that accelerates it considerably. So over time as people get older they develop more and more blockage and we call this aortic stenosis sometimes people will have shortness of breath Uh, sometimes they'll have chest pain but not always sometimes they just feel like they're getting older uh, and slowing down and not able to do as much as they used to do one of the most significant things about aortic stenosis is it causes a heart murmur that you can actually hear when you go to your doctor and they listen to your heart Oftentimes people discount the murmur saying that I was born with a heart murmur, but these kinds of heart murmurs that cause aortic stenosis are progressive. They develop over time as people get older. So a lot of people think that you have to be born with a heart murmur, but aortic stenosis is actually the most common reason why people have to go to the doctor's office for their heart valves as they get older. So it's a very common problem. It impacts hundreds of thousands of people in America every year cause them to have symptoms that are consistent with heart failure, those symptoms that I described previously. So we want to make sure that people know that this uh, problem is a problem of aging. It happens to people as they get older, most of the time when they get into their 60s and 70s and 80s. And as the population is getting older, we will see more and more people who have this kind of heart valve disease, which can be diagnosed by listening to the heart. It's a really important problem for people to be aware of because it impacts people in very significant ways. Uh, Obviously, they get very sick and they end up having irreversible damage to their heart by the time they end up going to the doctor to have it taken care of. One of the best things about aortic stenosis, though, is that it's completely fixable. If we uh, find it early enough, we can perform what's called an aortic valve replacement, where we take out the old valve and put in a new valve, uh, oftentimes made out of the sack that covers the heart of a cow or a pig. And sometimes we can even treat this problem with catheters and wires, where the patients can go home the very next day with a new valve feeling fantastic. So we have great technology. Now these days to be able to take care of this problem, the challenge is getting people to understand that it's a problem. Even primary care doctors and nurse practitioners and so forth. So, our mission is to try to spread the word about aortic stenosis and let people know that it is a problem that we need to reckon with now, as the population is getting older, so that we don't run into trouble in the future with having so many people who develop this heart failure symptoms without uh, knowing that they have a problem.
0: Yeah, if it can sneak up. On you that, that I, obviously that's a big problem but you you also are concerned about a disparity in the care and the type of care the type of treatment that black Americans receive point me in that direction
1: yes it is a remarkable thing that we have this technology where people can come to the hospital have their valve replaced and go home the very next day sometimes even the same day Uh, And we have a situation in which black patients or Hispanic patients and white patients have the same expectation of a favorable outcome whenever they have this treatment with this technology. But that's not the whole story. Uh, It follows that we have found in research studies that we have done across the country that black patients and Hispanic patients don't have access to this technology in the same way. way that white patients do. In fact, black patients and Hispanic patients have almost a three times higher risk of having conventional surgery where you have to have your chest split open, have the valve removed and have a new valve replaced, spend a week in the hospital and six or eight weeks recovering. Black patients and Hispanic patients have a rate of uh, conventional surgical treatment that's twice as high as white patients. And so it is a problem of being having access to the technology more than it is the technology itself. As I mentioned, black patients and white patients have the same expectation of a favorable outcome if they have access to the technology. There are a number of reasons why people don't have access to the technology. we found that poverty has a lot to do with it. No matter what race you are, if you live in an area that is poverty-stricken, your risk of having a problem that is not fixable with transcatheter techniques is more than twice as high as if you uh, were in a more affluent area. And indeed, people who have a median household income of $10,000 more have a greater likelihood of having this transcatheter access uh, where you can go home the very next day. So for every increase in 10,000 dollars of median household income, you have a 1% greater chance of having a transcatheter uh, procedure as opposed to a surgical procedure. And the difference is not only in the recovery, but people who have surgical aortic valve replacement have a mortality risk that's more than twice as high as those who have transcatheter procedures.
0: Well, of course, you've had your chest open for that procedure. So, yes, the risk is going to be greater. That, of course, is cardiac surgeon Antoine Keller, who founded HeartSense. He's in a really a campaign to spread the word on both heart valve disease and also this gap that exists in the care between rich and poor Americans, black, white, brown Americans. So that's his mission. And there is a big difference, he says, also in how many people go to the doctor, how often now part of that, he says. Is due to fear. Minorities tend to fear going to the doctor more than others. A number of reasons for that. We'll get into that in just a moment. Interesting discussion coming up, particularly as it applies to a just a terrible, a heinous operation, a, a study that the American government conducted in the 1930s on blacks in Georgia. So, we're going to get into all of that and understand some of this cultural hesitancy to engage in healthcare next on the Health Call Live radio hour on WoWo. Welcome back to Health Call Live, where health information is free and the stethoscope is never cold. We're here to answer your questions at 447-1190. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Yeah, I get it. Going to the doctor, never a lot of fun. But if you're not black or brown, you may not understand fear and lack of trust and how that affects your access and and your willingness to jump into health care. And sometimes that causes a delay in treatment until a condition that could have been handled much better early on now is a serious problem. That is what Dr. Antoine Keller told me is a big factor. And many of the reasons that some members in the minority community have worse health outcomes. And he ties part of this back to a study conducted by our government back in the 1930s in Macon County, Georgia, Our government recruited 600 African-American sharecroppers back then. And they, they wanted to use them as a study of the progression of syphilis. So many of these guys had active cases of syphilis. Some others did not. The government did some really just terrible things as part of this study. It is considered one of the most heartless and unethical studies yet uncovered in healthcare. And because of that, Dr. Keller says there is fear and distrust that lingers today.
1: There's some hesitancy, uh, not only related to COVID, but certainly related to medical treatment in general because of uh, experiments that were done in the past, like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, where hundreds of uh, black men were left to uh, recover without antibiotics from tertiary syphilis. And they were studied well into the 70s, uh, even though we had treatment for syphilis uh, in the 50s. So there is a lot of hesitancy in the black community, specifically uh, with going to the doctor and participating in research trials and so forth. And this is a culturally significant issue that needs to be reckoned with as well.
0: You know, this lack of trust that you mentioned is awfully interesting, and I think we see that in a lot of ways. Uh, In my community here, um, the zip codes with the highest minority populations have the lowest rate of COVID vaccination. Uh, does that speak to the trust issue again here? Is that what we're dealing with?
1: Well, it, there's some trust uh, associated with that, but there are also some structural inadequacies in our healthcare system that were exposed by COVID 19. And I'll give you an example here in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge. We had 14 COVID testing and vaccination sites. And this uh, report was done by NPR, a national public radio around the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Of those 14 vaccination and testing sites, 10 of them were located on the south side of town, which is the most affluent section of town. And only four of them were located on the north side of town, which is the most populous area in the city, but also the uh, area that has the greatest proportion of disadvantaged uh, populations. So it really is uh, kind of uh, bringing into sharp relief the inadequacies in our healthcare delivery system and how uh, we need to examine that a little bit farther, because this is not just true for COVID. It's true for a lot of other things, as you alluded to, for heart failure and atrial fibrillation and other kinds of chronic disease. Uh, that we know are a bigger problem in the African-American community. So we did a heart screening at a little church called St. Joseph's Church in Baton Rouge uh, a month or so ago. And uh, one of the physicians that came to help us remarked that there wasn't even a cardiovascular physician in the zip code uh, that we were taking care of these people at the church, uh, so it is a big problem, not just true in Louisiana, but true all over the country, especially as the population moves out of the city and into more rural areas. Yeah. So let's take a
0: look at what what's working. What's the fix? How do we how do we shift this problem?
1: Yeah, it is a very difficult question. And one of the things that I think we have learned from studying this particular problem is that uh, outcomes are important, but uh, the determinants for presentation and access to all of this fantastic technology that we have are equally as important and perhaps even more important because there are many, many more people who, who don't have a diagnosis who should have a diagnosis. Uh, that never present to a cardiovascular professional because the primary care doctors aren't as well-versed in taking care of people with these kinds of chronic problems. Uh, As uh, you may know, in the South here, we have a lot of really good food and bad habits and uh, bad lifestyle. Uh, Even though the food is good to you, it's not necessarily good for you. So we have a problem with obesity, and uh, obese people are harder to examine from a cardiovascular standpoint. And one of the best things about the uh, echo uh okay devices that we use to determine whether people have murmurs is that they have artificial intelligence and sound amplification that can give the primary care doctors um, a lot more confidence in their diagnosis and they can catch things. Even I listen to hearts every day and I find things listening to the patients with these devices that I would not have normally found. So it is a really a good way to be able to uh, give uh, practitioners Uh, confidence to be able to make that call about the heart murmur. And uh, we have to go out and touch people. We have to find people that don't have time or the energy or the resources to be able to go to the doctor and give them some confidence to be able to say, yes, I need to sacrifice this so that I can be healthy for the long term.
0: So you're really talking here about a public health approach to solving this problem. So... um... As communities, we have to really kind of focus on, well, you know, in every community, the utilization of a primary care doctor has declined dramatically. People don't have family doctors Mm -hmm. anymore, right? So that's That's a problem we all have to address.
1: Yes, we have a problem with continuity of care, too. You know, that's one thing about the family doctor that was so fantastic is you saw that same doctor time and again and again and again. But now with the advent of urgent care centers and uh, people using the emergency room as their uh, medical clinic, we really don't have as much continuity. And the people with chronic conditions like diabetes and heart failure and atrial fibrillation, these are the people that suffer the most because of that lack of continuity. So we need to try to uh, fix that. And uh, if we don't fix it, then these chronic conditions are going to be a big drain on our healthcare system going forward. The population is not getting any younger.
0: Yeah, boy, you know what? That is a point that I drive home all the time, and that is, for all of us, the health of, of everybody around us is a factor, because I cost you money, you cost me money. I mean, it's just, we're going to drive ourselves even deeper into a big financial hole if we don't get ahead of a lot of these problems that all of us with gray hair are going to face.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I commend you. Uh people like you and shows like you for having that understanding and for helping to get the word out because uh, we have to do it on the ground and, and uh, services like the one that you provide are eminently important in that mission.
0: So that is cardiac surgeon Dr. Antoine Keller. You can learn more about heart valve disease and what his program is all about at heart-sense.org. Again, that's heart sense The site has really good and simple explanations for aortic stenosis, atrial fibrillation, mitral valve regurgitation, and some other heart conditions he says can linger for years and significantly shorten your life. Again, heart-sense.org. Org. I want to roll back a little bit. You know, we we started this segment with mention of the Tuskegee experiment, and Dr. Keller says that's a large part of the reason that some members of the Black community still are distrustful of healthcare doctors and being involved in any kind of research. So that caused me to take a little deeper dive into this. I, I was vaguely familiar with that, kind of understood some of the basics, but I didn't really get. Uh, <sighs> What an awful experiment that turned out to be. So, let me share some of this with you because I think you'll find it interesting. So, the U.S. Public Health Service set out a study in Macon County, Georgia, due to estimates that up to 35% of the population there was infected with syphilis. So, in 1932, Male patients between the ages of 25 and 60 were recruited, being told that they were going to receive free medical care for what was called bad blood. So, that was kind of an all-encompassing phrase for everything from anemia to syphilis, fatigue, and some other conditions. You know, we're back in the 1930s, right? So, healthcare was, was nowhere near where we are today. They were told that the treatment would last six months. They'd get physical exams, x-rays, spinal taps, other things, and when they died, an autopsy. So, a year later, in 1933, the researchers said, well, let's extend this study. And they they decided we're going to make this a long-term track. In 1934, things really started to go off the rails. They gave the names of these men to the county health department and doctors in the area and said don't treat them for syphilis because they are involved in this study. In 1940, that expanded to the Alabama Health Department, so the state health department. In 1941, the war was starting and many of these men were drafted. Syphilis was uncovered as part of their entrance exam and rather than treat these guys, researchers actually had them removed from the army and not let their syphilis be treated. Now, by 1947, penicillin became the standard of treatment for syphilis, and the U.S. Public Health Service opened up several rapid treatment centers to treat syphilis with penicillin. But all the while, they had these 400 guys who were involved in the Tuskegee experiment that were prevented from receiving that very treatment. And it wasn't until a whistleblower stepped forward, and in the 1970s, this story hit the front page of the New York Times, that the Tuskegee experiment finally ended. 74 of those patients were still alive at that time. 128 had died of syphilis or other complications. Many of them had spread that disease to their family members, to their wives. No wonder, says Dr. Keller that some members of the minority community still don't trust healthcare and in being involved in research. Thought we needed to know the facts. That's what I could find. All right. So next week on the program, something pretty touchy, but I think you'll find it an interesting whole body donation. What happens when you donate your body to science? We'll cover that next week on the Health Call Live Radio Hour here on WoWo. See you then. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWO 1190 a.m. and 1075 FM.